Welcome to episode 175 of the Two on Three podcast, where two of your friends take on three topics in 30 minutes. I'm Ty, and you can find me retweeting the latest findings from the No Shit Studies Department at O Word University at SEATJK. And with me, as always, is Chris. Where can we find you donning a bib and looping for teen golfers, Chris? You can find me at CD Villasenor, putting on my caddy bib and making the magic happen. Where'd you get that fancy wah golf bib, anyway? They they hand them to you when you when you uh, when you so <laughs> to bring everyone up to speed. My daughter is playing in the Washington State Amateur, which, by the way, is about eight hundred yards too long for her. <laughs> so she's struggling a little bit, but she waved me off the first day. The caddies are caddies are allowed. I said, "Hey, would you like me to caddy for you?" Happy to do it, and she's like, "No, no, Dad, I got this." And went out and just dropped a turd. <laughs> I I pick her up, and uh, she's like, "Dad, you're catting for me tomorrow." <laughs> she she didn't really ask. <laughs> she just told me to report for duty. I was like, "I'm in, kiddo." And um, you know, about a about a ten shot swing with me on the bag. Wow. Did you so, uh, did you do explore why that was? Was it green reading? Was it was it clubbing? It's a it's a lot of everything. It's just mm. a little of everything. It's you know. Getting keeping her calm, you know, working out some strategy for her, you know, making better decisions. How much but, golf know, does she play without you in general? A lot. Okay. A lot of golf. It's just that, you know, tournament golf's a different animal and You're telling me. She, she uh but she was uh she was well so we'll see what we get tomorrow. We we'll see what we get out of tomorrow. I think uh I think we'll I'd like to see us improve each day. Like so it'll be very clear to her that she needs me on this bag. She wants me on this bag. She needs me on this bag. I enjoy doing it. I enjoy watching her play, and I watch. I enjoy watching the women's am players play. There's just amazing golfers out there. So some good ones. Good well, I look forward to an update next week. Yeah, you'll get one. Well, as always, listeners, we've got a great show for you this week. In segment one, we're going to deconstruct why it's so damn hard to apologize, particularly when you're famous. In segment two, it's uh, golf adjacent, as we're going to recap some fisticuffs in a professional qualifying event and uh, share our own experiences with on-course conflict. And finally, we're going to take a look at some of the most outrageous American idiosyncrasies that people from around the world just assumed were myths until they saw them with their own eyes. Beyond the buzzer, it's back to the stupidest things ever said before we head to the OT for a quick take on why banning critical race theory in K-12 is a self-defeating strategy that's already manifested right in front of our eyes. I can't. I bet you get excited for that part. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little frightened by it, but let's okay. Interact with the show on Twitter at two on three pod, or hit us up via email at at two on three pod.com. You know how much we love to hear from you. But before we get to that, there's been a lot of internet chatter in the last few days about whether Batman orally services Catwoman, and I just need to ask your take on this, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> First of all. I blame Kevin Smith for most of this whole sexualizing of superhero business with that whole scene in, in mall rats where they have to talk about like sex with superheroes and stuff like that. It's just, first of all, it's what goes on behind superhero closed doors should continue to go on behind super, you know, Lois and Clark are married. Spider-Man and Mary Jane are married. I mean, I assume that Spidey and Mary Jane have sex on the ceiling. I mean, it's just, you know, it seems very obvious to me. Sure. But, but I don't need to know. I don't need to, I mean, I don't need to, we don't need to get into this. I, you know, and. People are fascinated, Chris. They're titillated. People, please, please. People are stupid. The, 
Listen, billionaire Bruce Wayne has had plenty of sex with ballerinas and famous actresses and models of all sorts. And I'm sure he's performed oral many, many times. But it need not be portrayed. Like, you need not have Jim Lee, like, use his prodigious, like, art talent to, like, like draw Bruce Wayne going down on Selena Kyle. It just, it, it's, 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 it's a waste of everyone's time. Well, so they were trying to do this for the, uh, the Harley Quinn show, right? Mm-hmm. And DC said, you can't have, you can't, you can't depict that. And their response was that heroes don't do that. And this is my problem. The, that, that's the mistake. The artwork take, okay, fine. The, the depicting it take, okay, fine. But the, for DC to come out and say, heroes don't do that. Well, they're just wrong. <laughs> what kind of society are we trying to live in here? <laughs> of course they do. Of course they do. To me, I mean, this is like using cocksucker as an insult. It's like, right. this is not an insult. It should be celebrated. Right. right, exactly. The The thing about it is, it's like, again, we don't need to depict it. Of course, you know, superheroes are drawn, they're, they're these physically perfect, amazing looking people in comic land, in comic book world. Of course they're exploring all their options in terms of, you know, sexual pleasure. I'm not, you have to assume that the Justice League is basically the Olympic Village. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. The Hall of Justice is like the Olympic Village. They got a bowl of condoms in the Hall of Justice. There's no doubt. No question. No question. This is attractive uh, people get together. Shit goes down. Super powered, uh, you know, amazingly attractive people get together. Things go down. I mean, you've seen the boys. Hopefully, it's not that lurid. Hopefully, it's not like. Hopefully, it's not criminal. But but I you know I'd like to think that why wouldn't why wouldn't they? That's just. DC is just being, I don't know why, I mean, I understand they should just say, you know, we will not depict that. Of course they do, but we won't depict that. But the heroes don't do that thing is obviously a, a, a poor take. I bet if you polled a thousand women, they would tell you that heroes, the heroes are the ones that do it. <laughs> In fact, you can't get the title of hero without doing it. It's a bar of it's the low bar of entry. You got to be able to you got to be able to perform that act to get the hero title. Who's the best, Venom? <laughs> I, yes, Reed Richards obviously is the best. Quicksilver Flash. Listen, if you're doing if you're doing the Sex Olympics, you Reed Richards is your guy. <laughs> I, there's no question about Plastic Man, Reed Richards, Ralph Dinby, any of the stretchy guys. You can't you can't compete with the stretchy guys. Not, none of you can. Yeah, Reed Richards would be like, I'm having an orgy. Like, oh, am I invited? He's like, no, it's just me. <laughs> I'm I'm hosting it. Just, don't worry about it. No one else is just, no, yeah, I'm yeah, good. Right. Got it covered. Take, there's, there's three stretchy people in, there's three, basically three stretchy people in superhero land. And all those guys are getting it done. All right, let's do the show. All right, in segment one, I came across an article on Vice that talked about dealing with the the famous apology. And now, you and I have discussed this a little bit in the past, uh, mostly about sports and where people screw up. Uh, But there's something about this article that sticks out to me that it goes through many drafts, that, that, you know, that obviously it's a mess when the, the famous person sort of just goes off script and just says whatever. Um, there's some speculation in here that Timberlake's like 10 years too late apology for the Jan- Janet Jackson incident was just like 
him firing off tweets in the dark. <laughs> I just, why does something have to be so complicated when, I mean, why do people in general have such a hard time with contrition? I guess this is something that at some point in my life I just got over. I accepted the idea that I'm going to fuck up. It's generally not intentional. If it's intentional, I'm not going to apologize. I'm going to tell you. Like, it's, it's, there's only two things, right? When somebody asks you to apologize, there's only two responses. You're right. I'm sorry. Fuck off. Yeah, there really isn't any middle ground. My favorite, the, my, the non-apology, I'm sorry you're offended by what I said. <laughs> I've said why, that in the, some version of that to my wife where it's like, I understand why you're upset. I'm sorry that you are upset. I don't necessarily feel like I've done anything wrong, but I val- but your opinion is valid. <laughs> <laughs> That's a non-apology, by the by. The the here's the thing. I think it's much more more difficult to be famous today. Now, traditionally, the rich and powerful have had a problem with contrition. I think I think you can just go back to the beginning of time when there were people, and the most powerful people in any society. Don't have a don't have an easy time saying I'm sorry. That's just not what rich and powerful people do. Now they have this mechanism by which the public can turn the screws on famous people a little bit. We will we will sully your fame. We will make you famous for other shit unless you apologize for stuff that you've done. Right. So that this this is a new phenomenon. This is. This is something that, you know, if you think about like the early days of show business or even like my young childhood, like all those dudes who were drunk on Carson mm-hmm. <laughs> when I was a kid, like Dean Martin and Frank Sinatra and all these guys who would just show up on, on The Tonight Show just plastered. I mean, that group of that group of people, you couldn't have done anything to like Sinatra probably shot people and like no one <laughs> and no one cared. Right. It, 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 there was nothing you could say to somebody like that. But then time goes on. People are famous for different reasons. There's much more. There's many more famous people. You have to compete for fame. So you have to keep your fame, quote unquote, clean. And so people are, I think, are much more, are much more concerned about, about keeping, keeping it, keeping it shiny. Do you think that it's also as you become more powerful, you you stop hearing or, or even stop being around people who you know have a contrary view to yours. Do you think that you by nature sort of self isolate inside of a group of people that primarily agree with everything you say and do? Yeah. I mean, it's like the Elvis Presley model, right? Where you have that, you have the Colonel Tom Parker and like three yes men who follow you around everywhere because why not? Uh, yeah. I think that, I think that that is, I think that's, part of the fame trap as it were is that you begin to self-isolate right i want to hang i don't want to hang out with regular people i want to hang out with famous people i want to hang out with quote-unquote cool people people that laugh at my jokes sure sure although you hang out with me i laugh at your jokes (laughs) (laughs) i don't care that's the thing i don't don't care (laughs) i prefer it but you know what whatever if i'm making a joke the joke is for me but yes, I think that I think that that's part of the fame thing. That that's part of the 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 more you're out there in in your public in the in your daily life, the more you want to isolate yourself in your private life, right? Yeah. But that 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 line gets blurry all the time. I mean, social media has made it made made fame a real trap. You know, it's it's made it to where 
you know, you could, you know, we see people shoot themselves in the foot every day on, on social media, like famous yeah. people flying their plane into a mountain every day on, yeah. on social media, fumbling the bag as the kids say. <laughs> yeah. And, and so, which is funny because it gives rise to the, it gives rise to this new industry of making famous people apologies work, which is, which is hilarious, which is which is just a funny offshoot of PR and crisis communication. <laughs> right. You've got a publicist. Then you've got an agent who's looking out for your financial interests and probably only cares about their own, making sure that whatever comes. Yeah, of course it's their own too. Right. And then you have an attorney who's just like, just tell me what the circumstances are so I can make sure that you don't suffer any repercussions from, from it. Right. First of all, let's not make, let's make sure you don't go to jail. Right. <laughs> for, for the goofy shit you're doing. If the, if not, you know, it's sort of like an if then statement. Like, so if you don't have to go to jail, like, what does this do for your public persona? Like, it, does it make you more desirable or less desirable, like, in the public? Because, you know, there are people who can play the bad boy card and get more famous. I mean, it does happen. It happens a lot. People, people like outlaws in some way, shape, or form. I mean, rock stars have been doing this for the longest time, like, playing the, playing that card where they're seen as dangerous in some way, shape, or form. And how does somebody like Marshawn Lynch go from being so frustrated with the media he won't comment during media day at Super Bowl to being, like, now one of sort of the most beloved post-retirement, you know, athletes out there who can say all kinds of things? And did he... It's weird because he's so genuinely authentic, but it's almost like he got coached on, just say these things, Marshawn, and it's going to be fine. Like, if you just stick to these three or four subjects... And I think he did. He just started saying, made sure that any of his commentary was just positive. And if it's positive in nature, people are not going to skewer you for it, even if it comes out in a, in a clumsy fashion generally. Yeah, I think that's I think that's true. I mean, you know, you get people who walk the line, somebody like, somebody like Charles Barkley, who definitely walks a, a very careful line that 99 out of 100 people couldn't. And I don't know how he does it. I mean, it's just sort of like, this sort of affability, this I sort of, you know, I believe it and I'm kind of jovial about it and unapologetic about it. I think I think people I think people appreciate people who aren't trying to manufacture fame from a weird place. Right. And I think those are the people who get in most trouble. The people who are trying to manufacture their fame by not being themselves and and portraying like playing a role in public. And then they they veer off that. And of course, you know, once the blood's in the water, it's like they're, they're ready to rip you apart. They're ready to, to dig into your life and say, you don't believe this or you don't do this or you made this up. And then, and then they've crashed your fame. Would you write your own apologies if you were famous? Would you have the team look it over? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm not really, I'm not particularly edgy in that, in that way, shape or form. Um, but, you know, I guess I, I guess, I, mean, I, I guess if I cared enough, I don't, I don't really care enough to have other people <laughs> deal with my apologies. You know, I don't, I tend to, I tend to, you know, if I misspeak, that misspeaking is one thing, and you know, people love to crush people for misspeaking. That's a, but there are people who are actually have bad intent, and those are the people that you really, you really need to get after. I mean, anybody can say the wrong handful of words, and it. If you talk a lot, <laughs> could you imagine tweeting if you were famous? Why would you ever tweet? You'd never would. I never would. If I was, if I was famous, how famous would I have to be? If I was, 
if I was like a famous rock star or whatever, I'd have an Instagram that I would post pictures from concerts and stuff. And maybe some videos of me practicing because I was really awesome, like an awesome musician. I wouldn't say jack shit about anything. Nothing. I really, I mean, I, I would, I would not, I would not, I would not campaign for people. <laughs> I would not. <laughs> I wouldn't do anything. I'd be like, you know what? I'll, I'll deal with all my personal values and beliefs on my own time. But what goes up on social media is just the business. It's probably not worth getting skewered unless you simply don't care about the people that are going to skewer you. Because there are artists, I think, that do, that do a pretty good job being sort of online activists in certain ways. But they're very careful about what they participate in. And I find the ones that are the most effective are person like Jason Isbell, for instance, who very famously like imploded his band with his alcoholism, right? Mm-hmm. The drive-by truckers, for anybody that doesn't know. But is still like one of the most now sought after again, guitar, uh, uh, writers of songs and, and is, you know, beloved by a very strong, small community and maybe, maybe larger than I believe. I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know how you feel about his music. I, I like some of it. I don't like some of it. Just like, just mm-hmm. like the band. I think he's got a strong following though. Yeah, for sure. But I think he does a really good job because he sort of never steps out and uh, on a, on a, a plank or a, you know, I don't know. I'm trying to think of a, the proper metaphor where he's, he might say something that could be, you know, deemed controversial, but he's like, no, this is what I believe. You know, these are my, these are, this is how I have an honest take on this. Mm. Um, I think it's sort of the, the opposite of, to someone like Mark Ruffalo, who will wade into something maybe because he feels strongly about it, but doesn't know as much about it as he, as he should. And will end up like walking things back, even though, you know, he is, I, I have a lot of respect for, for Mark being willing to put his, you know, his, his feelings out there in, a very, in such a strong fashion, but he's mm-hmm. also been one to, you know, weigh in on, on something difficult and, and, and ultimately feel like he needed to pull it back. Yeah. And, and then where does that leave you? That leaves you nowhere is right. where that leaves you. I mean, how many times do you have to, to throw it on the table and walk it back before people go, ah, he's just talking out of his ass. Exactly. I think that yeah. as soon as you're doing that, you're just, you're in trouble. Yeah. Yeah. Having values is a good thing. I like, yeah. you, know, I, you know, I like that. And, you know, if, if someone's willing to say, hey, here are my values. This is where they align with this particular thing. Like, OK, I mean, thanks. Thanks for sharing. I'm, I'm good with it. Yeah. I, I just think it's really tough to live in a time where it's like you can have an opinion like like we talked about last week with the with the vaccinations or like that we talked about or that we talked about before. Like, I think it's best to reduce state sponsored violence on the whole. And that's somehow a, a controversial opinion. It's not it's not the kind of thing. Right. Like, I think that we should try to do things to not have people die and, and not have people live in abject poverty. Like, these are worthy causes. Sure. And people get mad at you now for, for, for saying that. <laughs> yes, they do. <laughs> You're not going to make me care about shit. They get real mad. Right. All right. Segment number two. All right. In segment two, I want to talk about this fight that went down at the, uh, uh, oh, I had it right in front of me. Um, is a Q school event, correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. Did you read the article? It was a Monday qualifier for thank you, a, thank you. a cor- a corn ferry event. There we go. Thank you. So <laughs> So it's, it's like it's like trying to qualify for the minor league tournament. Right. Right. Yes. You're trying to prove that you can eventually become some sort of a professional golfer. Exactly. Uh, of course, I have to mention the guy that had was asked to asked to leave after nine hole a nine hole fifty seven fifty four something like that. <laughs> yes. Yes, he was. You gotta respect is, the moxie. God, can you imagine? I just, I would be more than mortified to like if someone said, "Hey, 
Chris, we'd like to invite you to play at this this qualifying event, this corn fair. I, no, I couldn't say no fast enough. No, thank you. I think if you turn pro and pay the fee, they pretty much let you play nine holes no matter what. They do, but yeah. Not again. Not again. Yeah. All right, so this fight went down at Sand Creek Station Golf Club in Newton, Kansas. And two golfers, uh, Austin Daly and Derek Fribbs, were paired with another golfer named Luke Smith, whose father was caddying for them. His father is a president of a Memphis-based bank called Capital Prime. Uh, mm-hmm. And they were struggling and fell behind. Um, it, it's common, right? And, and generally when that happens, and we do this for each other, like you sort of search for uh, wayward shots. You help each other. So I'm going to look for your ball because I want to keep this moving, right? Mm-hmm. Now, like we talked about before, we don't want that doesn't want, I don't want that to be the focus of the round. And certainly when you're playing a competition that can take you out of your game, you're spending too much time doing it. So I can understand not wanting to do it also. But these people, the Smiths, uh, would not help search for errant shots at all. And uh, apparently, finally, on the, 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 the seventh hole, the Austin Daly hit his ball into the, into the shit and one of the golfers went over to help. The Smiths of course wouldn't at the end of the hole. Uh, he said, Hey, you know, it might be able to help us speed up play. If you could help us look for balls. And the, the dad said, my son's not here to look for balls. I'm, I'm mad at you for, for slowing down the pace of play. It's your fault for being shitty and so on and so forth. Rude. Maybe True. <laughs> Maybe true, but probably true. in the nastiest way possible. Certainly. I mean, there's no possible way he wasn't a complete asshole about this. There's, right. Right. 100%. So Austin Daly turns around and walk away. And then suddenly the uh, Luke Smith jumps on his back and start throw, starts hitting him. <laughs> the other golfer runs back over to try to break up the fight. And then the dad grabs a putter and starts waving it around at people like he's going to hit him with it. And this came up on Twitter for us also in the, in the intervening weeks since we last recorded, where there was a discussion about which club would you use to fight people off? And clearly the answer is a putter because it went down just days later. <laughs> he might have been holding it at the time, but the, uh, yeah, I mean, this is a, this is a tough one, right? And, and let's, if we, if we run back a little bit, is that if you said, hey, would I play in one of these qualifiers if I was unqualified to play? My answer would be no, because these people are actually trying to make a living. Right. They're trying to. And the last thing they need is some tourist to glom onto their, uh, into their, go to, to traipse into their work and disrupt their ability to, again, try to make a living. So it's very easy for me to imagine that, that, um, that tempers run hot. I have dedicated my life to trying to play golf at the highest level. I am, I do everything I'm supposed to do. I'm here to try to qualify, to make money, to feed my family or to put myself through. And some tourist walks in and just starts air mailing it all over the place. It's, it's, I can't imagine how frustrated I would be as a professional golfer in this situation, probably frustrated enough to punch somebody. <laughs> I mean, but you could go over there, especially as a, you, Take a cursory glance and, and keep it civil. I think if I was unqualified and I was playing along, I'd go into it with the mindset that if I'm hitting wayward shots, I'm just taking drops and eating whatever score I have to eat. Like, but still, I mean, that's that's disruptive. I mean, you you play golf. I mean, you you know that if you were playing well and somebody starts hitting it all over the park and and then says, "Hey, will you come help me look for my ball?" You might say, "Uh, no." <laughs> I hit my ball into this tall grass. My ball's on the opposite side, like in the fairway, 40 yards farther than your ball is. I'm standing by my ball while you look in the grass for your ball. You yeah. know this to be true. I this might is, say, oh. I'm going to go get ready to hit my shot, but 
you know, <laughs> no, you're take, not a, helping take, that a, guy, take a drop. You're not helping for that guy look for his ball. You know why? If it's on not, my way. If it's on my way, not, then I'm doing You're it. not helping him pick, find his ball because you're not there to find this fucker's ball. <laughs> Right, yeah, I'm not going to jump on him for asking me, though. But but no, but you know, but he, no, he's the one who jumps on you. It's like he, you're. If you said to him, "Dude, I am not here to help you find your fucking ball," and that guy comes and tries to fight you because he's like, "You should help me." No, that's would, not what happened. You would tell him to suck it. That's not what happened here, though. The guy that he, the guy that was hitting it all over the place got jumped by the guy he asked to help him. He was like, "No, I'm not going to help you." And not only that, I'm so pissed at you for sucking, I'm going to beat you up. So this, this is, these are two assholes, the Smiths. So yeah. I'm not, they, up until the point where they throw punches, I can, I can defend it. But what are you doing? This is not a thing to fight about. Yeah. Well, so I, mean, I personally... A, go ahead, sorry. No, but that's the thing. No, Oliver, Oliver Smith went to make it clear that his son Luke wasn't here to look for balls. Yeah. Right. And then when he... And then... Yeah. No, then Austin Daly walks away, and, and, and then seconds yeah. later, Luke Smith jumps on his back and is hitting him in the head. So this is – so, yeah, so my example, the example I, I said was, was different. It would be like, I'm not here to help you find your balls, and then, and then two holes later, he's like, why did you come help me find these golf balls that I hit? And you went over there and punched him because you might. <laughs> I would not because <laughs> I would leave him. I would abandon him. I would yeah. be like, if I was on a regular golf course, I'd be like, dude, if you can't, if you, I can't do that. I am not going over there to help you find your golf ball again. I'm not well, doing as you it. know, as you know, I played a bunch of golf last weekend, and one of the rounds I played with one guy who I'd never played before. I mm-hmm. played with before, who was a friend of a friend of a friend, right? But part of the larger group of guys that come out for this event, and. He's like, I really need you to help me spot my ball. I need to have cataract surgery, and I can't see out of my right eye. And I was like, what? Different. So you're blind. <laughs> Different. Because I play, I, play, uh, I play golf with a gentleman who has the same sort of thing. He's like, my vision isn't always great out of sure. this one eye. It's his, his left eye. So when he hits the ball... Like sometimes he has trouble picking it up, but he was very clear about that. I played with him a, a number of times, and sure. but he's very clear about that. He's like, "Could you please, if you would, help me spot this? You know, stand in the back of the tee box yes, and just yes. and just watch it go." Yeah, it's don't like, get me wrong. I didn't have a problem with it. It was just really funny. Like halfway through the round, I mean, he asked a couple of times, like, "Yeah, we're helping him out. It was normal." And then then he brings it up, and it's like, "So you're basically blind." <laughs> <laughs> Oh, and it was it was he was a trip. He was he, he he liked to talk a lot, but thankfully he hit his ball over the place, so we didn't I didn't see him very much. Just <laughs> just on the greens and the tee boxes. But yes, but but at what point? At what point? At what but point one of our buddies. Say, well, what's what I was getting to? Say, okay, one of our buddies had to ride in the cart with him, and so right. he spent his entire round driving <laughs> all over God's green earth. <laughs> Play, looking for this man's golf ball, playing golf with a blind man. Yes, which is which is maybe not something you had signed up for. <laughs> I'm just glad that I brought my own self single single rider <laughs> vehicle. But yes, but yes, I would definitely. I would if it was a stranger and they kept like hitting balls in like lost ball areas, mm-hmm. and I would maybe do a drive-by and say, oh, that shit's lost. I'm not yeah. going in there to help you find the ball. And if that person got indignant with me, is like, why won't you help me find my ball? Yeah. I would be, I would be quite indignant with him. I, would I be do like, kind well, of you wait should. sometimes I would, for my I'd friends. Like, <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. I would just say, you should hit your ball and play. <laughs> I do sometimes wait for my friends to be like, can you help us look for this? Because if they've hit it in the shit, I'm like, 
I, I'll walk by him. I'm not like, going to walk through those bushes for you. Oh, no. Oh, no. no. no, no I'm not I'm getting not... those burrs in my socks and stuff because you put no. your ball in that grass. I'm not going in there. I'm wearing shorts. I'm not yeah. walking through the thigh-high fescue no. for take your... A... No, take a drop, dude. Take a drop. Yeah. Now, but now, and now bubble this up to where people are actually trying to play to make a living. Right. And I can understand why it gets testy and fiery. There's really no excuse for this guy assaulting this other man but but there's certainly more than enough grounds to be wildly indignant about the situation well this weekend there's a short par four we waited till the group's on the green and we're playing the last round of the day and so we're chasing light a little bit right mm-hmm. and we're hitting up on them never into them never into them but we're hitting up on them because we're all fairly long hitters in this group and the, you know they just they take a while and then we're waiting we're waiting and then we all hit our drives and we're hitting some big shots and we're right on them like there was times where we drive up near the green and we're like 30 40 yards off the green right even the blind guy uh this was i wasn't playing with the blind guy that <laughs> thankfully no the last group i had it was that was one of the most fun rounds of the day like some of the best shots were hit but um we played the short par four it's around the corner and we're all trying to carry this corner um, and land sort of in front of the green and one of our guys just hits driver and apparently, like, it, the ball bounced in on the green, which we can't see from the tee. Mm-hmm. And we get up there, and the people are hot. Mm. And it was funny because the guy's like, hey, you know, he's screaming at me. I'm back on the fairway. I didn't hit that shot. I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. What's going on. <laughs> <laughs> Not my business. I was like, I, I assume that because I can't see it, right? It's, it's dusky, right. and it's, I can't really see what they're complaining about. Mm-hmm. Um, I do go up there, and I'm apologetic about it. I'm like, hey, hey, none of us were trying to hit the green. Sorry if that happened. He's like, well, yell four. And, and we're like, well, it's, you know, it's dark. And then the woman he's with, it was just a very interesting dynamic because he was mad, but as soon as we were clearly apologetic about it, like he was sort of just, hey, be safe. Yeah. But his woman was just pissed. And it, <laughs> it was just this different thing. Where, and she, she turns around, she screams, you guys need to slow down. And I'm kind of like, really, you need to speed up. <laughs> I didn't say that, but that's in my mind, right? Like, uh, you know, I, I'm with that, you. We shouldn't hit into you. But if you're uncomfortable by the fact that we keep catching you, well, you have choices, don't you? You can let us yeah. go on, or mm. you can speed up. Yeah. But this well, is only the one time we've hit into you. We've been playing behind you at this point for like 13 holes. Right. And I'm the, sorry and if it makes you feel uncomfortable. It definitely has <laughs> happened to me where someone has hit into me and my children, mm-hmm. and, I've, and I've gotten a little bent out of shape. Sure. And then they come up and they're like super apologetic. I'm like, no problem. It's like, okay. Just wanted to let you know that we were up here. Yeah. It's like, okay. Like, I always assume the worst of <laughs> the people who hit it to me. And if they come up and they're and they're apologetic, I I'd wave it off. I'm not I'm not gonna I'm not I'm gonna only really it. mad if you do it twice. You do it twice, we're gonna I, we might I might touch you. <laughs> <laughs> you might end up on the news report. You might end up here on uh, you know, on uh, you know. Or as the man once said at Bellevue Muni as I'm walking down the first fairway, he's on the second fairway, I hear him I hear him mutter, well, it wasn't mutter, it was sort of loudly say, what the fuck? And he turns around, screams back at the second tee, you can wait or you can go to the hospital. <laughs> Sage advice. That's fair. I agree. Let's go to segment three. All right, in segment three, I always love when I come across these things when, you know, foreigners post on, I don't say foreigner. Foreigner sounds really bad, but I do mean literally no, anyone who's not in this country. Foreigner is not a bad word. This is, wow. I don't know what, people get bent out of shape by foreign. It's like my, my parents are foreigners. <laughs> not anymore, <laughs> they, are they? I, I am a foreigner. No, you're not. I, you're I was an American born, citizen. I was born in a foreign country. I mean, they're from a okay. different culture. Right. 
There's plenty of people in America who are foreigners. It's fine. <laughs> Let's all calm down about calling people foreigners. <laughs> fine. But one of my favorite things on the internet is when we people post about stuff we don't think about as Americans, right? That we're used to experiencing. Um, you know, a few weeks back, a lot of posts about, um, I forget what was on that was global, that was an American broadcast, but it was, people were like, what's with all the, the pharmaceutical commercials? Because it is wild, right? There are like a, an insane amount of pharmaceutical commercials. Yeah. So I found this article that is just a breakdown of all these different things that people from other countries have thought were just fake. Like they only experienced it through American media and they just thought it was made up. And my, the first one I want to share, and we're going to take turns doing this. I sent it to you so you could pick a few of your own. Um, the famous red cups. So associated with, you know, wild college parties, drinking games, comedy films that feature them. Uh, the Toby Keith song from 10 years ago. The red solo cuff is ingrained in American culture. Now, I, I'm not a fan. It's sweat. They, uh, <laughs> they, 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 you know, I, I like an actual quality drinking implement. Like, if you're having a keg party, these I'm old enough now at a keg party, I, I might bring my own. Like, I'm going to have, like, a nice insulated right. cup to drink from. Right. Um, anyway, an Australian person came from, he just always thought it was, like, uh, 555 area codes, a Hollywood invention. And when he came to the U.S., he was making, his mother-in-law was making him dinner, and offered him an iced tea in a red solo cup. He, he got so excited, he made everyone at the dinner still has signed the cup as a souvenir, and he still has it. The red solo cup is, without question, iconic. It's, there's no, I don't, I, it's the funniest thing in the world that it's, it, it is what it is. <clears throat> but it's also a genius invention, right? Because it tells you how much liquor to pour oh, yeah. in any given try. I mean, the lines are, it's gradated. Gradiated. Yes. Gradiated? Is that the right Graduated? word? Graduated. <clears throat> Graduated, gradiated. It's anyway. It has yeah, gradiated would mean that it was like one color then yeah, a different yeah. color. <laughs> yeah. It's yes. graduated. Yes. But it does. I mean, that's the beauty of the solo cup. And of course, it's a terrible drinking implement, but it's supposed to be. It's cheap. Yes. You you buy them in sleeves of one million and you leave most of them lying on the ground. <laughs> oh, come on. <clears throat> After the party's over. Try not. Right? To. Yes. No. Everyone tries. Not, everyone, quote unquote, tries. <laughs> it's like, what happened to your cup? I don't know. I lost it. Here, we grab another cup. You know where you lost it? You lost it because you dropped it on the ground and you don't care because you're drunk. You set it down somewhere. And now somebody <laughs> else is drinking out of it. <laughs> Back in the old days. Nowadays, ain't nobody just picking up a no, party cup. This is why I'm bringing drink. my own implement. <laughs> I'm going to break out my old uh, stage mic when we go to karaoke. Like, <laughs> yeah. Plug this fucker in. I'm not using that one. <laughs> <laughs> Man, you're not going to karaoke. Well, people. I mean, when I but do, just, I'm still going to take my own mic. A bunch of strangers singing in the same room. It's, no, you're, just, you're, not a, you're not down for that. Particle but, fest. Uh, but, <laughs> but yes, that's, a, that's an amazing... I'm glad, I'm glad this person was like so excited about it. It's like, wow, these are real? Yeah, awesome. that's, that's what I loved about the story. <laughs> that's amazing. Uh, the first one I thought about was... Uh, the first one that I looked at was the vast amount of breakfast cereal choices we have in America. <laughs> because it's ridiculous and amazing <clears throat> if you go like if you can imagine like the entire aisle you know that we that we take for granted of like amazing breakfast cereal choices yeah <clears throat> most of which i've like had enough of to hate almost all of them <laughs> i know i'm like a honey bunches of oats kind of guy or whatever but always, always good there's like there's like 12 variants of it now though that's the amazing part you well, get... and that's what happened, right? Because there was a time in, in my lifetime when Honey Bunches of Oats itself was, was a brand a... new, look at this, here we got something new for you. <laughs> and it was, it was amazing. It was like a phenomenon at the time. 
And then yes, now there's 40 variants of it. Just like right. there are like now every alcohol company has four different kinds of seltzer. It only took two years, <laughs> maybe three. Yes. Right. But that's the, that's the thing because if you've traveled overseas, if you're an American overseas or in another country and you're looking for cinnamon toast crunch, you might as well be looking for Bigfoot because you're not yeah. going to fucking find it. I mean, it's just, and, and it's the same phenomenon happens when people from other countries come and then you, you take them to Costco and they shit their pants. They're like, what is this place? This place is stupid. Where do we get one of these places? Right. How can such a thing even exist? Right. It just blows people's minds. I love that about, I love that. That's what, you know, we like to show off our, you know, our conspicuous consumerism. I'm down with it. Well, my next one is a lot like that in that I thought it was really funny that this person said that New York said they thought that New York was fictional. Like they didn't believe it actually existed. Like that it was too large and true, too extraordinary to possibly actually exist. And this one I can understand because we portray, you know, a a facsimile of New York in so many other properties, um, intellectual properties. There's so many stand-ins, right? We have Gotham city and I mean, I guess Metropolis is in Kansas, but Metropolis isn't quite new. It's like the other, like the mirror flip side of New York city. It's the happy, bright, New York City and Gotham right. is the sort of seedy, dark New York City. Right. But Metropolis, geographically, whatever. Let's not get into it. <laughs> <laughs> the point is I can understand being from another country and feeling like, you know, that New York City couldn't possibly exist. Mostly because, you know, it's the density combined with the scale. Mm-hmm. Um, I think now it's maybe more common. You see a lot of, you know, a lot of, a lot of countries with a concentrated wealth have built major cities in their country specifically so they had something to say. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's Abu Dhabi, for instance. Right, right. But the um, but what makes New York City amazing, and it's not New York City, like as a whole, but it's Manhattan Island, which right, is right. the density and the height of New York City of Manhattan is. It's not something you're prepared for until you've walked those streets a little bit and you look up and you go, "Holy shit!" Like what what, what is going on here? Mm-hmm. But, you know, if you're really looking to your, get your, you know, to have your head twist off, go to some place like, you know, Mexico City. <laughs> Tokyo. <laughs> Which is vast. Just this vast thing that, you can, again, you can't wrap your head around it. Yeah, Tokyo was the same. It gave me a similar feeling to New York, mostly because you could take a 20-minute train ride and still be in the urban center. And yes. that, that, was, that, that was sort of mind-blowing. And it had been a while since I've been in New York, and I'm like, I forgot that there was places like this. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Again, New York City is all about that, that density of Manhattan. But, yeah, a lot of other, a lot of other like, major cities in the world are just like, yeah, you're right. 30 minutes on a train, and you still are. <laughs> you're still in it. Right. I'm still here. I'm not, I haven't even gotten that far. Amazing. It's it's like the reverse of the how people come out here from the East Coast and like let's go to like another city for the day and it's like that's not a thing we can't do that here. <laughs> it's gonna take an entire day to get there. Right, right, exactly. That that yeah, West Coast living right, right, is right. all about everything is it's far. <laughs> yeah. Can we just go to Portland? Yeah, not really. You gotta stay the night, kind of. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> you can't really do it down and back. Which which leads me into my second thing is um, just the scale and breadth of our park system, like the national park system, like something that we've you know my family and I have been sort of chipping away at and haven't even chipped away at it, uh-huh. <laughs> and I feel like we've been to a lot of places, but because because the United States is so big, this is one of the things that again I think 
stuns people who come you know come to the United States to visit. They're like, oh, like you can go to some countries and visit it. Mm-hmm. And think, you know what? I'll spend two weeks in France. If you spent two weeks in France, you could probably visit France, right? Sure. You could you could stay a couple days here, take a train, da 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 da. Two weeks later, you know, you see the Alps, you see the whatever the Pyrenees. You could just do the Tour de France on a train and see France in two weeks. Mm-hmm. Like you come to America for two weeks, you can't see jack shit. You you no. can't see anything. You you could see a tiny part of it. Like you might go to you might the get three Northeast. or four states. Yeah. Yeah. You might go to the Northeast or you might go to the desert Southwest, but you, you aren't visiting the United States. If you come here for two weeks, you're it's impossible. I mean, I guess you have to be super comfortable flying and, in, and in, in, inside the, the country to do it. You could do it, but you have to be comfortable. I remember what would saw, you see? What would you see in two weeks? Even if like, if you said to yourself, you have two weeks to see the United States, like in any, and enjoy it in any way, shape or form. New York, Chicago, Florida, Texas, in two weeks? Yeah, you could do that. You could do three days in each city. Two days. Two days. <laughs> you're not getting a lot of it. I'm in Boston. No, that, no, yeah, you're not getting a lot of it. That's that's and that's the point. That's the yeah. point. It's like it's just our country is so stinking big, and I don't think people realize that till they come here and and try to and try to visit it. I think one of the hardest things I ever had to do traveling around the world was fly foreign airlines between foreign countries because it's just not the same. It's not that much different, but everything's a little screwy and you're a little concerned the entire time that you're not actually going to get where you're going. Yeah, because at one point you were doing the world tour, like two years of you had gone, you had gone all kinds of different places. Yeah. 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 Yeah, Definitely the most challenging ones. The most challenging legs were always intra-country or not intra, but inter-country, inter-non-US country travel was. Yeah. Yeah. Like if I was if I was ending in the states or starting in the states, it was always very much what I was used to, flying like from Singapore, from Australia to Singapore. From actually, that was pretty straightforward. But Singapore to Tokyo, for instance, I think it's mostly if you have to fly in two countries where you don't speak the native language, it of feels either. a little yeah, yeah. <laughs> of either of them. Yeah, you're like, is this gonna work? <laughs> the train is easy, right? The train is okay. It's on the ground. It goes from here to there. Yeah, um, it's a lot less confusing, obviously. Uh, I think, and then the, the the other hard part, and not so much for business travel, but but leisure travel is the ground transportation outside the trains is super dicey in a lot of European cities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The last thing I was going to mention is frats not being real. Like I thought it was just a <laughs> like the idea that it was just a concept made for movies. What? That it didn't seem like it's possible that it could be a real thing. They're not real. <laughs> frats aren't real. It's not like the movies, but it's real. <laughs> It's worse in every conceivable way than the movie. <laughs> yes, I imagine. I imagine it is. Right. Well, that's it for our regular segments, and you know what that means. Are you stupid or something? Are you crazy? Or just plain stupid? Are you stupid or something? Stupid is stupid does, sir. It's the stupidest things ever said. What? All right, first one comes from a sign in Annandale, Virginia. It says, Taste of Annandale, Children's Playground, Pet and Chili Cook-Off Contest. <laughs> <laughs> I always love bad grammar, like, or bad comma usage well, and that just, kind of stuff. It always makes me laugh. Just read it. <laughs> <laughs> what you need to write here is Pet Contest and Chili Cook-Off. That's all. <laughs> I know. I like it. I, I, hey, I'm Filipino. I'm down for a pet uh, cook-off. 
Grab me up some of that cat. <laughs> All right. Uh, here's a tweet by Chef Jamie Oliver. Another true story. A massive amount of UK farmers use human waste as fertilizer on their land. Waste and there are both misspelled. <laughs> what? It's human waste with an I. A human, human weight. What? I, he's, say, he's saying he, that, that people are using human, human waste. Yes, to fertilize their, their food. Do they really mean human waste, like poop, or do they mean like uh, compost? Like people are using like the waste products from their kitchen to create compost to fertilize their gardens. I think because I don't think people are pooping in their gardens in the UK. Are people collecting? They're plumbing, right? I mean, people aren't fishing like their outhouses or pooping in a bag to put it in their gardens, are they? I suppose it's not impossible. <laughs> I guess it's not. <laughs> it, it it seems a little unlikely to me. I think maybe he's thinking about kitchen waste and composting versus know. pooping. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here's a headline from the North Platte Post. Man leaves accident scene, holds frog hostage. And for once, I was able to find the backstory. <laughs> so, so a man under the influence had rolled his vehicle and then got one of his friends to come pick him up. So he left the scene of the accident before, before uh, authorities got there. Okay. Eventually, he got the, and the other car got pulled over by the car they were looking for, by the, by the cops. The man got out yelling at the officer, picked up a frog from the ground, and then said the frog was a hostage. And that he was going to assault the deputy if he came any closer. And so then he got tasered. I will shoot this frog. I will stab this frog in the head if you take one step closer, officer. Yes, the frog escaped the ordeal unharmed. <laughs> Thank God. But its current whereabouts are unknown. What a harrowing evening for the frog. It's a mind of my own business. Some drunk guy. around. <laughs> frog I almost had a up. rabbit on the road today. Don't run out in front of cars. Where are your parents? There's so right. many rabbits in my neighborhood right now. I can't even understand it. They're, I don't know where all these rabbits came from. We've always had a few, but th- there's so many now. They're multiplying like rabbits. Amazing. I heard that. I heard that about those rabbits. <laughs> all right. Next, we have a movie title, The Haunting in Connecticut 2, Ghosts of Georgia. <laughs> <laughs> and I looked that up, too. And that movie actually does take place in Georgia. And they just used the Haunting in Connecticut title because, I guess, existing IP reasons. The Amityville Horror 3 florida gulf coast exactly <laughs> it's like wait wait what yes we just want we just want wait a minute. the haunting of connecticut the haunting in connecticut the yes haunting of connecticut the haunting in connecticut the, <laughs> the ghosts of georgia i thought maybe I mean, there's gonna be some georgian ghosts in connecticut no i i mean is the IP so strong that we have to stretch it all the way to Georgia? Like, was it that big of like, a hit? The haunting yep. in Connecticut, <laughs> right? Everyone's like, "Man, there's a haunting in Connecticut sequel. Let's go see that." Right. It's set in Georgia. It's like I don't. <laughs> I'm excited. I don't understand it. All right, next we have a 911 call. So caller first. I think I saw a man driving while talking on his cell phone. 911 operator. Could you tell me where you saw this? Um, I'm not sure. What direction was he driving? I don't really know. Okay, could you tell me what the car looked like? I can't remember. Actually, I'm not 100% sure he was on the phone. And it might have been a woman. (laughs) Eyewitness accounts are so very, very important in crime detection and solving cases. Imagine being the kind of person who's wired to call 911 when you see somebody talking on their phone while they're driving. 
I mean, that's not really for 911 calling. I mean, sometimes, sometimes, you know, maybe a honk. You're just supposed to scream, hang up your phone before you kill somebody. Everybody knows. <laughs> everyone knows how, how this works. It. That's all there is. Everyone, everyone knows how this works. Yes. I, yeah. I just give those people a lot of space. It's kind of like, let me, let me be, be far behind you or far ahead of you before you crash yourself into like a guardrail. All right, the next we have we have a, a quote here from racehorse trainer Brian Smart. Mm. Nice little horse, gelded him, made a man out of him. <laughs> God. Props to Brian for his forward-thinking views on gender and his willingness not to assign a specific I'm, set of characteristics to someone based on their genitals. I'm glad I'm not his son. <laughs> Time to be a man, son. <laughs> Time to make a man out of you. It's like, I saw you did that race horse, Dad. Fuck this. I'm out. And finally, we have BBC TV, BBC TV, BBC TV broadcaster Jeremy Paxman. There is no such thing as a surgical strike. A scalpel can turn into a club and then have a boomerang effect. Wow, that's a lot of that's a lot of uh, metaphor. Going on there. It holds with what I understand about boomerangs as weapons for movies. There's a there's a bladed edge. Uh-huh. It also can be used as a club. Okay. And you know, used like a standard boomerang. Think about Mad Max. Yeah, I mean, you're supposed to throw it, but it's never you're never you're never supposed to kill something with a boomerang and have it come back to you. You're just supposed to throw it. You, right. You, yeah, it curves, and you just have to understand that it curves, so you can. I mean, I guess if it's it. if it yeah, but if you have a sharp one. <laughs> sharp enough to go through whatever you're hitting it'll come back to you <laughs> you just you need to stop watching bad max is captain america a different work. movie if the shield is a blade oh it's a it's a great movie <laughs> if the shield if the vibranium shield is razor sharp and he's yeah. just cutting people in half like left and right yeah for sure like sometimes you know, how, you know sometimes the uh the shield like slams into something and sticks like in some concrete but yet, like, bounces off, like, some Hydra guy's head and, like, right. just, knock, and just knocks him down. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a little bit, uh, it's uh, unpredictable in terms of what kind of result you're going to get with that, uh, with the vibranium shield. If you think about the physics of superpowers, you're going to have a bad time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't want to look, you don't want to think about it too deeply, but you're absolutely All right. right. Let's go to the overtime. Overtime. All right, so critical race theory has been in the news a lot. And one of my favorite pieces of content right now is just reporters asking people who are opposed to it what it is. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of movements to ban it from K-12 through education. It's a simple concept. Just, you know, for, for anyone who's not familiar, critical race theory is simply the, the idea that racism is more than just individual thoughts or feelings and actions, but rather the idea that collective society, consciously or unconsciously in different cases, upholds a power structure that treats people differently based on race. That it's not conscious all the time. And by the way, that's where woke comes from, for anybody that's unclear on that. This idea that you are aware that there is unconscious bias in the world, and you are, you are now trying to actively, um, I guess, disin- uh, combat it, right? You're trying mm-hmm. to reverse the effects of unconscious bias. I mean, here's a good example. So I had a, a black roommate in college, and he never sped when we were driving, ever. Like, I'm always, like, 10 over, right? Like, driving, getting, no reason, just because I want to go fast. Plus five, plus 10. Plus five, plus 10, always. Plus nine, (laughs) right? And he never (laughs) sped, never sped. And I was, like, giving him a hard time about it in the car. And he goes, 
I never speed. To speed is to invite an interaction with the police. He's like, if you get pulled over, you're going to get a ticket. I might go to jail or I might get shot. And I was like, I never really thought of speeding as sort of a white privilege thing. But given that, given that example, it sort of is. But anyway, my point, I bring this up all to say that I think it's already failed because of where we're at. So if you think about an entire generation was raised in the post-civil rights era with an aggressively whitewashed version of history. Not that it was more whitewashed, but, but whitewashed the same way it always had been. They were essentially taught, and I'm including myself in this, um, that America was a place of truth, equality, and justice, right? History be damned. Well, this is the myth of the, we're, we're myth-making, right? We're, it's some level of indoctrination. Then when it's suddenly like laid bare over the last few years that the American justice system is pretty much decidedly not that way, they turned out in force to support the idea that people of color were not treated fairly by the law. But given that we live in this late stage capitalism malaise that like constantly threatens to weaken our country to like the point of collapse, um, wouldn't it make sense that if we had been taught about structural and societal racism being baked into the system as children, the more likely response to this generation would have been a shrug and have been like, that's the way it goes and not been motivated in the same way that millennials were the first generation sort of realized that selling out was actually something that wasn't to be avoided, that you wanted to make money off of whatever you would produce. And I just wonder, like, did we already create this, this scenario where because we were taught that things were great and then shown that they weren't, that it animate, becomes this animating force? So if you continue to sort of, you, I mean, how far do you get that? How far do you have to go down this rabbit hole before you actually have the desired effect of everyone's indoctrinated and no one's going to buck the system? That's the, uh, th that's the tricky part about this, right? Because, you know, I think that, that you know, and speaking as someone who's not white, um, is, is the trick of it all. Is that, hey, you can say, you know, we, we, can, we can do this whole life, liberty, pursuit of happiness thing. And that may or may not be true. <laughs> but I think that, but I think that, that, that I think we're, we're starting as a society to make more of an effort to make, to, to make that more true. I think that, you know, again, light years ahead of a, all, a lot of other cultures. I mean, this is the, tr this is the, this is the real trick of, of having a melting pot is oh. that, you know, I mean, you're not going to get a fair shake in any country that's mostly homogenous if you're the outsider. Right. It's impossible. You know, you're never going to, you're, 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 and at this point we see a, a part of our society who is trying to, trying to make this happen. It's like, Hey, the laws as they are written seem applicable to everybody. Right. Which is, which is a good thing to have. Like there's, it doesn't say if you're white, you get this, if you're black, you get this, if you're brown, you get this, whatever. It's but enforcement ev is objective. Exactly. So this is the this is the part where you have to continue to push forward because you know people die, <laughs> you know people get old and croak, and you know you get you get you get different representation in a representative government as you move forward, right? Sure. So so you fully expect things to change. I fully expect things to not like by the time I'm of retirement age. You know, I fully expect things to be very different than they are today, which is, you know, in 15 years. I would hope that I would hope that we would have the 
again the basis and structure of the of the laws and government that we have, but the enforcement and application is different. Does that I make just, sense? Yeah, yeah. I just uh, you know, I mean, I think we all want a better future, and meanwhile, I think there are people whose better future is Gilead, and that's the unfortunate <laughs> teeter that we're on, right? And it's, it's yeah, it's a but I, you don't want to live in interesting times, right? But, but here's the here's the here's the inherent problem with slicing and dicing um, with CRT is because you get, you know, or you get like Latino CRT, you get Asian CRT, you get everybody has, everybody who is different has a, has, has cards to play. Like I am, I am, I am, no, you're not really the victim of this system. I'm really the victim of this system and everyone has cards to play, which is, which is maybe the hardest part for me personally to dis- dissect. I think everybody should, again, in, if, if I'm going to be the Pollyanna in the room, to say, hey, these laws should apply to you the same way they'd apply to everybody, and, that's, and that should be fine. But to try to raise your privilege because of your, you know, because of your immutable characteristics doesn't seem, doesn't seem, good for our society just to say that i deserve something and you don't deserve something simply based on the color of my skin seems wrong to me it should be these laws apply to everybody like your friend shouldn't be afraid to speed right and and i'm and it's and it's terrible that he does feel that way and and my sense is people feel that way today and i'm hoping for sure I'm hoping that maybe changes can be enacted or people can change their attitudes in a way that bring us to a, a place where your friend can speed. <laughs> <laughs> Just like the rest of us. My point is, though, like, didn't they, by, by teaching me, for instance, like, I, I can tell you right now, like, my, my civil rights education, when I look back on it, those are bare bones, right? Mm. And we live in a fairly progressive part of the country, and for the most of my, my primary schooling was done in this area. But it was still very much like, it was really bad. People were really nasty. And then there was Martin Luther King and now everybody loves each other. And I probably believed that until I was like 19, <laughs> you know? And I think that so didn't, didn't, didn't by virtue of teaching history that way, didn't they essentially create a generation primed for rebellion when you find out the country that you've been told you live in is much more of a, a facade or facsimile of, of what you've been told than it actually is. And aren't they going to do it again? By like, you know, whereas I'm saying like, if you bake in the systemic racism into the, into the, the education, aren't you much more, much more likely to get sort of the desired outcome, which is, you know, tired apathy. Yeah. And, and this is, the, this is also the thing about being, um, an activist who makes headway and, and in our society and then becomes and reaches a certain celebrity status or leadership status or monetary status that their fire cools. Right. And and then the establishment gets their arms around them and they become part of the establishment. And then the establishment holds them up as, hey, this person has been successful. (laughs) This person has made their way in the world. Right. And you've had all the opportunities that this person has. (laughs) And so and so every unfortunately, every movement, like be it physics or whatever i mean the laws of physics being what they are is everything you know moves to a lower state of energy and a higher state of entropy it's it's true with 
it's true with everything. Like every movement will reach a certain point where enough of the people who have who the, the tip of the spear have have had their needs met, mm-hmm. and now are no longer interested in 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 the in the cause. It yeah. just it just it's it's an, it's an unfortunate truth of the world, and I think history will show that that is true over and over and over again. No doubt. No doubt. No. I, I, I mean, I, I'm not trying. I'm not trying to be glib about it. It's just no. I think about it, and it's like no. there's there's a lot of cutting off the nose to spite the face going on, and I, I just think that we're repeating. I'm watching. I feel like I'm watching the history book that I already that I already read just be reimagined. It's like a remake of something that's already occurred, and and here we're doing it again. And sometimes yeah, and, it's, it's fatiguing. Yeah, well, it's that we're human. Human beings are a funny are a funny thing that way, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah, my daughter asked me about who created the universe. <laughs> that's a tough one. And then she's like, well, who created people? And I'm like, that's not the question. The question is who created the universe? Like you had the question right the first time. Celestials. You'll see them. You'll see them in the upcoming. You'll see them. You'll see them in the upcoming Marvel feature Eternals. That's what so I said. I said Kurt it. Russell. <laughs> Kurt Russell. Do you remember Guardians of the Galaxy Part 2? Kurt Russell. Right? Bearded Kurt Russell. Or if you watched... Uh, Alien Covenant or Prometheus. The, again, you know, that's that's who created people. <laughs> See, the, the question that always nags my mind is not whether or not there was a Big Bang or whether or not there was, you know, intelligent design. It's what was it before that. Yeah, it doesn't that's matter. That's the interesting thing to me. Doesn't matter. Doesn't no, I, matter. I feel like the creation of man is simply the end of a math problem. Like like we've talked about with aliens and every other thing, right? The, yeah. the infinite expanse of the universe. But what, mm-hmm. what, what before? No, that's that's the real mystery. No, here it is. Here's the here's the, in an infinite universe energy patterns that are every energy pattern that is possible will occur in infinite amount of times. So we'll be here again an infinite amount of times, you and I, which is actually kind of a nice. Thing. But you'll also be an infinite amount of other things. So you know it it just goes on and on. It's an energy pattern that will repeat diverge and repeat and diverge an infinite amount of time so well let's hope one of us can get our hands on the tesseract and become a variant (laughs) (laughs) hashtag lady loki (laughs) that's our show our thanks to all of you for listening to the two on three pod where we look outward to help you look inward if you enjoy the show tell your friends if you didn't don't drop us a review and subscribe if you're new but until next week when we return more pop culture life strategies and existentialism really peace (laughs) 